you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up. Uh, Matthew chapter 21. Matthew, Kel, Kelly. Um, earlier today she threw a pencil at me. And I thought it was very mean. So uh, if you don't have a Bible and you'd like a free one, we would love to gift that to you. Just raise your hand. We'll have someone run it to you. Uh, uh, Matthew uh, 21. We are in a very significant area of the Gospel of Matthew. Not, not to say that the other 20 chapters aren't significant because they very much are, but rather to say that, that these chapters are significant to you and me because what we get to see is the beginning of some pieces being moved onto the stage. Uh, and, and because they are moved, uh, the result of that will have some incredible realities for us. That uh, chapter 21 begins documenting uh, the final week of Jesus as he heads to the cross, where ultimately he takes on himself the sins of the world uh, as a sacrifice that he would make a way for us to have a right relationship with God the Father through him and him alone. And and these verses are significant because of the way that Jesus acts and because of the steps that he takes and, and everything that unfolds. And I think we have to constantly come back to this realization. Everything that unfolds here is in this in very intentional design uh, of the Father who out of His great love for us has promised to send a Messiah and is, in Matthew 21, has been sending Jesus as the fulfillment of that, that promise. And, and we began uh, chapter uh, 21 watching Jesus right into Jerusalem during the Passover feast activities. Uh, and he, he, he comes in uh, as a king would arrive in a city. And as he rides on the donkey, we, we remember and we remark that uh, as he rides in on a donkey, it's this symbol that he is bringing peace for a people who are greatly oppressed. And, and what, what is amazing as we watch this unfold is that the people, much like us, they don't realize just how oppressed they were. Uh, their belief was that uh, their greatest enemy were the Romans, who were uh, keeping them under their thumb, who uh, they desperately wanted to be liberated so that the Jewish people, so Jerusalem, can have their identity back to themselves. And, uh, and so they thought, as Jesus was coming, that their expectation is that he would come in uh, guns blazing, he would remove the Romans. And, and what they don't realize is that the Romans was not, were not their greatest enemies. Uh, they, in fact, had an enemy that was oppressing them uh, much more. They, they thought their Savior King would rescue them from, from the Romans, and what Jesus comes as our Savior King to do is, is rescue us from a much greater enemy uh, in sin that leads to death, uh, separated uh, from God. And, and so we, we saw that. And then last week we, we saw this very awkward moment uh, as Jesus enters the temple and, and he finds the church making the temple more about enterprise than about ministry. Uh, and he turns over the table and he drives out the money changers and, uh, and he kicks the guy who's selling the pigeons out uh, because nobody likes that guy, right? Uh, and, and he brings into focus this very real necessity to prioritize here in the church, here at Merge, uh, both prayer and service. Uh, and, and so all these steps, though, all these steps have been connected to the old 
Testament promises, helping us understand more clearly what God is doing by sending a Messiah, by revealing the credentials of Jesus's. And, and this morning we're going to see a third sign of Jesus's great work, but uh, but it's going to be revealed in a very peculiar way. Uh, in fact, uh, it's going to say much about what God is calling. Uh, from us to live for as we live for the glory of his name. Uh, and it's, I'm just going to tell you, as we read it, you're going to say, that just seems weird. Uh, why would Matthew point this out? Uh, but it's very helpful when we see this in context. And I think that's why we walk through uh, these verses in the Bible in, row, in a row, uh, because it does that. So let's, let's pray, and then we'll, we'll jump in. Father, we come to you, and we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that we don't have to... Uh, guess and argue and wonder if, if your word is true. We just be, we believe that in faith. And we pray as we open up your word that we would chew on it, that we would taste and see uh, just how uh, what you have for us through the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray that uh, our guards would be down for these next few moments, uh, that we would be able to very honestly ask ourselves some questions about what you are revealing uh, in Jesus' footsteps this morning. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. All right. So as Jesus performs another incredible display of his power this morning, uh, we're going to collide, much like we did last week, uh, we're going to collide with a warning uh, for each of us about our manner of living for the glory of God. Uh, And so if you are found in Christ, you're going to find for yourself this morning a very real warning and a very uh, honest consideration for you to make uh, in your life because Jesus is going to do something that when ignored in the context of where it's placed, it would seem like a really strange thing, again, that it's even mentioned. And, and I should say before we get to verse 18, uh, the, the Gospel of Mark, we'll, we'll talk about this exact scene, uh, but Mark will break it up into three scenes where Jesus is really just breaking, uh, where Matthew is breaking this up into two scenes. And uh, and so, and the, the question is, well, why would they do it differently? Uh, and it really just has to do with the way each gospel writer is presenting uh, Jesus. Uh, and so, uh, you'll find a gap in between the way Mark uh, describes the scene, where Matthew has been writing very, uh, almost like a snapshot of what Jesus is doing. So, he will, he will address it topically. Uh, and you're like, why is he telling me this? Uh, because a lot of times in the Bible, you'll read something, you're like, that doesn't make sense. Why is it said this way and why is it said that way? And basically, Mark and, and Matthew, two different people, uh, and they're writing it in two different forms. But the result and the application this morning are the same. Uh, because I, I mentioned this because what's done in connection with what's happening and uh, what, what is done here today is in connection to what we addressed last week. Uh, Jesus is coming out of seeing what's happening at the temple. And then he's going to do this. And so, so here we go in Matthew uh, 21, uh, verse 18. It says this, In the morning, okay, remember, okay, just to set the scene, uh, last week, uh, Jesus, as he clears the temple, uh, he brings some people in, he heals the, bl- the blind and the lame, uh, the blame, I guess, that's what I was trying to say. Uh, and, and then all of a sudden, the children start to praise him, remember? Uh, they said, Hosanna uh, to... to uh, the son of David, and, and the church people come in and they say, hey, why aren't you stopping that? And Jesus says, well, don't you know that out of the mouths of babes and infants you have ordained praise? And it's this really boss moment of Jesus's because he says, hey, 
that praise that is due to God from Psalm 8, that, that it's fitting that I would receive it. Uh, and then it says, he, then he left, went to Bethany. Uh, so he just goes just out of town, not very far. He leaves, and so the next day, he's going to come back into Jerusalem in the morning. As he was returning to the city, he became, what's that word? Hungry. Hungry. I was just saying if you were paying attention, and none of you were. Um, but that's fine. We'll just be here until I feel like you are paying attention. Uh, I'm just joking. Okay, so, so he became hungry. Verse 19, and seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it, and he found nothing on it. But only leaves. And you can underline those three words. But only leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. Okay? Now again, it's a very peculiar scene. You're like, what does that have to do? In fact, you might be asking yourself, What does a fig tree have to do with the gospel? Uh, what does the fig tree have to do with what Jesus is doing? And actually, it has quite a bit to say about uh, the glory of God, about the gospel. In fact, in the Old Testament, uh, Israel is often compared to a fig tree uh, or a vine, and then judgment on Israel is compared to its destruction. A couple places you can go for that. Psalm 105, uh, Jeremiah chapter 8, uh, Micah chapter 7. Okay, uh, and, and so Jesus, in fact, will use... This illustration himself, this image of the fig tree when describing the people of God or the nation of Israel. Uh, in, in Luke 13, there's this parable that he teaches about a, a fig tree where the master comes to it, realizes it hasn't been producing fruit for about three years. Uh, and his decision is, hey, we're cutting it down. Uh, and a servant comes in, pleads with him and says, let's give him one more year. Uh, let's give it one more year. Let's cultivate it. Let's try to grow something up. Uh, but at the end of the year, if it's not producing fruit, it's being cut down. And it's this very real warning to God's people of saying, hey, if you're not producing fruit, and we'll talk about this in a moment, if you're not producing fruit in your life, then God says, let's just cut that away. We're cutting it out. Uh, and so Jesus will use this uh, illustration as a way of... Uh, for the three years of what he's seen through his ministry, and then the destruction represented that God's an impending judgment on his people. And so, so here we are in, in Matthew 21, and Jesus is found, okay, just recently, last week for us, yesterday for them, uh, he has found the religion of Israel to be barren. Uh, or better yet, he has found it to be very empty. Uh, its leaders have turned the temple from a house of prayer into a den of robbers, and Jesus, uh, he's been rejected by them. Uh, maybe not as publicly as it will later in the week, uh, but, but he has been rejected by them as king, and, and the time of warning was upon them since the time of judgment was coming, and which is why uh, Jesus cursed the fig tree and why the tree withered. It's all this, this beautiful symbol of what is taking place. And, and the cursing of the fig tree... Is a symbolic action. It's a warning uh, to the people of God. So when I say that, I mean us. Uh, it's a warning to us of how God views a religion that doesn't produce spiritual, genuine fruit. Okay? And, and so, now this, I, I need to warn you about this. This may come as a shock to you, but I pretty much know nothing about fig trees. I mean, I am a tree farmer. I have three trees growing in my house. They're all like this big, uh, and the the storms that blow in every time knock them down. Uh, and so they probably will not survive. 
Um, but, but from what I have learned uh, about from commentators about fig trees, the way they work is simply this. When, when they first produce, they produce these figs. Uh, and at the time, they're edible, but they're gross. Uh, they're not ripe. And, and after the fig will produce, leaves will show up. And then as the leaves start to bloom, uh, the fig will start to ripen. And then later you can pick the figs and eat it. Now, now the issue that we face here is that uh, you have a tree, a fig tree that is producing leaves. So it's advertising to you from afar that there's fruit there. And Jesus has arrived and there's no fruit. But it's saying to the world, no, 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 hey, 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 I'm a fig tree. At this point, it's not. It's just a bush. It's just a, a plant that's got leaves. It doesn't have any fruit on it. And this was the issue that Jesus is coming into. Uh, and, and it was a case of false advertising, which Jesus uses as this illustration for the hypocrisy found in the church. And, and so their, their worship was not producing the fruit evident of one who is walking with God. In fact, their, their worship is incredibly insincere. And, and, if, uh, and in their actions, this is, what, this is what we find out, that God hates it when we try to approach Him with false motives. Now, on the outside, they looked very religious. They had a lot of activity. They looked the part. In fact, a lot of these people that Jesus is, is casting judgment on here or bringing um, awareness to them, uh, you and I would have looked at them and said, if I could only be like them. They are so passionate in their zeal for the Lord. But it was all very empty. And, and, and now we, we could read um, really the entire book of Malachi, which I, I find to be some of the most challenging words uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, we, we could read the entire book this morning of Malachi and hear God, God bringing in a very real argument for insincere worship or fake worship and how he, he, what he wants to do in place of that. Um, but that would, that would take some time. Uh, and so perhaps maybe just ten verses this morning uh, out of the opening chapter of the Gospel of Isaiah. I'm sorry, of the book of Isaiah, um, would help us understand that, that when it comes to worship, that, it, that A, it's not a game, uh, and B, God will not be mocked. Uh, and so, so here we go in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 10. Okay? And these are some, some very real and hard and true words. Okay? So this is what God declares. Okay? Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Okay? If you've ever heard the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, go to Genesis, you'll find it. Um, not necessarily what you want your hometown to be called. Okay? So, so he says this in verse 11. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. Uh, when you come to appear before me, who is required of you this trampling of my courts? Okay, and now the issue, the issue for the nation of Israel is that they are doing all the religious things that God has told them to do, but their hearts are very far from them, from Him. 
When you come to me, uh, when you come to appear before me, who is required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is, a, is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me, and I am weary of bearing them. It says, when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. This is a very real judgment. And God is helping us understand that this, this pursuit of His glory is not a game to be taken lightly. And it's not um, a, a method for you to just find whatever you want. And so, so and now, I, I don't want to leave you there because that's, that's really kind of dark and sad, right? Okay, so, so God, then all of a sudden God's mercy makes an appearance. Okay, so He says this. In love, in love he warns us about this game that the Israelites are playing or that the nation of Israel is playing. Uh, And then his mercy makes an appearance and he says this. He goes, listen guys, wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. And then, gosh, you want to talk about why is it so complicated to follow God when he gives you a list like this, okay? Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Then he says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and you rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So Jesus comes to this fig tree and he curses it because it's a symbol of his displeasure for the games that we tend to play when it comes to the glory of God. In fact, uh, I think unless we understand God's displeasure for insincere worship, we're going to have a hard time seeing why Jesus' cursing of the fig tree is really nothing more than a temper tantrum of a kid who can't figure out how to turn on his cell phone so he throws it across the room. Okay? That, that, that Jesus is not throwing a tantrum because he's hangry. Okay? Uh, that, that what he's teaching us is something incredible. And For instance, number one uh, in your talk notes, that God wants to produce fruit in the lives of his children. That God wants your life to be fruitful. Okay? Now, as say that, being religious is not the same as being a child of God. You with? Being religious is not the same as being a child of God. And this is one of the most difficult things for us who live in the buckle of the Bible belt to understand. Uh, that just because you have some sort of an allegiance to a church, uh, just because you spend a portion of your week with a church people, that doesn't mean you are pursuing the heart of the Father. In fact, you can do some very good things. In fact, God, God tells us simply this, that, that just showing up and performing religious activities is not the same as living in the light of the gospel. That, that God tells us the effect that His love has on our lives is literally life-changing. 
And it should be evident in our manner of living, that he transforms us from a mess into a masterpiece so that we can help others see just their desperate need for God through Jesus. That, that's why he does it. That's why he does it. Our lives are not our own, so they become monuments of his grace and his mercy and his movement and his desire. And this should generate in us, first of all, just some iota of gratitude that he would rescue someone like us. Because we are in his hands, we are put together and we are being designed by Him. Not by our own very flawed perspective of reality. And not, not through our very flawed perception of what is success and what is purpose and what is a difference maker. That we get to be in the hands of God. And He transforms us. And that, that should change the way we do things. In fact, He is leading us to be in the best versions of us possible uh, which is why we need to understand that, number two, there is a kind of fruit that pleases God. There is a kind of fruit that pleases God. Failure to bear genuine fruit of the, leader, uh, of the leaders who appeared last week in the temple is what Jesus is referring to with this fig tree. He says, listen, you're not bearing fruit. You have leaves. You're advertising. But you have no fruit. There's nothing genuine coming out of your life that is directing people toward the glory of God. And, and, but we don't stop there. We don't just stop with them and say, boy, they've missed it. Right? We have to come to us and we have to understand that since this is what, this is what happens in every church that merely is concerned about the outward appearance. And never about the inner health. Uh, in fact, any gathering of people who show green leaves of apparent health, but fail to possess the fruit of people actually walking in communion with God. And now, now the issue for us is simply this, okay, if, if there is a fruit that bears God, if only, if only there was like a place in the Bible you could go that describes the kind of fruit uh, that God is producing in your life, right? If only he helped us out that far, right? Oh, wait, wait, there is one. What? That's crazy like I prepared or something. Galatians chapter 5. It's an, chapter 5 is an incredible chapter of Galatians because it really runs you through a lot of your dysfunctions. Have you ever asked yourself, why do I do certain things the way that I do them? Uh, Galatians 5 will put a big old spotlight on it. Okay? But he, he will talk about this. They, uh, Paul will help us understand what it looks like to walk with God. In fact, he will say, as you walk with the Spirit, these things should come out of your life. Okay? And he simply says it this way, but the fruit of the Spirit, okay, if you grew up in church, at some point you're going to try to sing the song. Okay? We're not singing it because this is church time. We're going to be serious. Okay? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, Self-control. I couldn't do it. She can't do it. They broke me. Uh, they broke me. It says against these things there's, there's no such law. It says against such things there is no law. And now, now let me tell you this. There's a danger when we approach this list. 
Okay? There's a very real danger in our lives to, in, in how we approach this list because typically what we want to do is we want to use this as a ranking list. Okay? And we will try to prioritize love, joy, peace, patience. We'll, we'll try to prioritize all of those gifts. And it just so happens the ones that you are good at are the ones you're most concerned about. Right? Well, those things come more easy to me. Therefore, those are what God really wants the most. And if we find ourselves lacking in some of these other fruits, we say, well, I just need to find friends who can round me out. Right? Or I need to find friends who are worse off than me so that I don't have to feel as bad that I don't have these fruits being produced. Right? That's my typical thing. Let's find someone who's really jacked up. And let's be like, hey, at least I'm not as bad as that dude. Um, right? But, but understand, that's not... This, this, the fruit of the Spirit is not um, Ben Franklin's virtues. Right? Okay, so, so Franklin finds these virtues and he says, I want to master them. And so he takes one and, and he tries to master it. And if, as soon as he fails, he has to start again. And, and the intent is eventually I'll master these virtues and I will be the person that I want to be. Okay? That's not what the fruit of the Spirit is. And any attempt to try to master them is simply this, this, um, this confession that you have no idea what you're talking about. Because this is, this is the promise of God. As you walk with me, I will transform you. Okay? You can go to Romans. Paul will say, Be not conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you will know the, what is pleasing to God, His perfect and His good will. Okay? So, so the fruit of the Spirit isn't this list of things to be mastered. It's this promise of God that when you walk with me, you will be transformed. You are in this process of transformation. And as you walk with me, these things will become evident in your life. Love. Joy. Peace. Patience. Goodness. Gentleness. Faithfulness. Self-control. These things will be the byproduct of what I am doing in your life. And if, if you look at... Okay, let's say it this way. That, that you are not allowed, okay, in the Bible, to pick and choose which one of these you want to be good at at the expense of others. Okay? They are evidence of your, that your heart and your life is God's. Now, if you'd like to know what it looks like uh, that the works produced uh, when your life is your own, then just head three or four verses back, and you'll see what, the, to keep up with the illustration, the vegetables of the flesh, because vegetables are gross. They should be avoided at all case, right? At all times. And we find that the works of the flesh, or the vegetables of the flesh, are, are things like jealousy and anger and rivalry and envy and drunkenness, etc., 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 that, that we're not permitted to just decide that we're just not a patient person. I know that's hard for some of us. You're like, I'm just not patient. Well, that's a horrible excuse to not change your life. You can't just decide that you're not kind. Uh, you can't just decide that you're not joyful. This is, this is not what God has done for you in Christ. He has made you. He is continuing to bring out this fruit in your life of love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Because these are the exact 
things and the attributes of Christ Himself. And He says, I am making you into the image of My Son. So God says these things will be produced in your life as you walk with Me. You can work on them, but as long as your steps are following after Mine and your heart remains Mine, I will produce these fruits in your life for My glory. That's His promise. And now, now here are the hard words. Okay? This, this is, this, these are the hard words. That, that if these fruits are not evident in your life, then you really need to spend some time exploring whether, whether or not you know God through Jesus or you know of God and you know of Jesus. Because here we have a group of people at the temple who look like they know God, but really they just know of God. And they think they've mastered a way to get what they want out of Him. And God says, there's no fruit. Your heart's not mine. And I long for it to be. But it's not. And this is, this is as I read the fruits of the Spirit, this is what it means to me, that, that I should be more patient today than I were from the day that I came into my awareness that I needed Jesus. I should be more loving today than I was last year. If I'm walking with God unrestrained, I should be more loving tomorrow than I am today. That those things are built on His promise, not mine. And so, so, so next what, what happens in the story or in this, this encounter uh, seems to take an interesting turn. Uh, because uh, what we would think and what we would hope is that as we read, uh, as we continue reading next, is that the disciples would come to this complete understanding of why Jesus did what he did, right? Uh, that's what we want to see, because that's clearly what we've been thinking, right? Some of we, when we read the fig tree, you're like, oh, well, that clearly is about um, the religion of the Jews, and right? Everybody thought that? Um, no? Okay. Um, so... So this is, this is not what happens, though. Uh, they're not going to get it. Verse 20, uh, so Jesus has cursed the fig tree. It has withered. And when the disciples saw it, uh, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? Okay, and if you want to circle a word in there, circle that word, how. How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly, I say to you, if you have faith and you do not doubt... You will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And here's a very dangerous verse that we want to skew much too often in our society. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. And you want to talk about a verse that has been abused and misused by the church, has been abused and misused by pastors. This is one of them. Because all of a sudden, if your prayer didn't come true, well, clearly it's your fault. And it's not the fact that if God had actually given you what you were praying for, you would have sabotaged your life. You'd have self-destructed it. It's why I'm five foot three and not playing for the Mavericks. Okay, because God knows that guy would be out of control, and we would all hate him. Um, but but I find it just a little comical that the disciples would be more interested in how Jesus did what he just did rather than why he did what he did. 
right? Nobody comes to the defense of the fig tree like, why'd you, why are you so mean to the fig tree? What did it do? Right? As if Jesus is holding the fig tree morally responsible for not growing fruit. And we might expect Jesus, because he does this from time to time, to look at his disciples and say, why are you guys so thick-headed? Why are you so concerned about the how and not the why? Uh, but, but he doesn't. We, where we expect him to respond, forget about how quickly the tree withered and try to understand the more important pressing matter of what God views in empty religion. Um, he doesn't. Instead, he takes the question at face value and he replies with some, mark, some remarkable teaching about prayer and about faith and that that union. In fact, uh, we've already come across almost the same teaching a couple chapters back in Matthew 17, uh, where, where Jesus says, if you have faith as small as the size of a, a mustard seed, uh, that, that you can say to this mountain, move from here and to there, and it will be moved. And, and he says, nothing will be impossible for you. So, so we've already kind of dealt and explored some of what this means, that, that Jesus isn't literally talking about you moving mountains. Uh, there's this very real figure of speech, meaning that, that the seemingly impossible things are very possible through the power of God. And as you believe, as you walk and understand that prayer isn't about making God aware of what's going on in your life as much as it is you rather you gather in your heart around God's desire, that, that as we do that, uh, when the people of God take Him at His word and we pray in a believing way, uh, we find all of a sudden some very real encouragement for why we pray often uh, and why we pray well and why we pray rightly. Uh, but but perhaps Jesus uh, didn't take a right turn, as I kind of tend to believe here. Um, maybe as we remember that Jesus has just been walk, we've been walking through the aftermath of religious leaders eclipsing prayer for profit. We find a reason why Jesus responds this way: uh, that, that Jesus says, "My house will be called a house." prayer, which is perhaps why it's very fitting and becomes critically important to us that, that number three, and we can start wrapping this up, that, that God has zero interest in an outward show of religion if our hearts remain very far from Him. Zero. That, that it doesn't, and, and now hear me when I say this, because this is a very tr- real danger for the church and it's a very real danger for the believer. That, that it doesn't matter how extravagant or prosperous the temple is if the people aren't actually communing with God and growing spiritually. Uh, that, that, that Jesus just walked away from a scene where the church looked healthy and it looked extravagant and it looked full of people that were bustling. There were things going on, but it had no real genuine life. Uh, None at all. In fact, everything was about serving of the self. And it's about elevating the self over at the expense of others. That they they looked well-fed and without need. And there are a ton of churches that can look exactly the same. That they have leaves, but they have no fruit. And now here's the thing. As I say that, as I say that, if you've been wounded in a church, their, their name just came to your mind. You've ever had a bad encounter 
with a, in, with a church, that place just came in mind. And like I told you last week, I'm not responsible for those churches. We are responsible for this place. And I tell you, it is very easy. It's very easy for us to do this and not have God do any of it. It is. We can be friendly. We can, we can look moral. Uh, and I think this stands as a warning to us here at church, uh, at Merge, that, that we can look the part of a church with life and pull off a, very, a fairly convincing show without ever asking the Holy Spirit to move among us. We can do that. That, that we, can, uh, we can put on a good show and never ask God for one provision. We can lead our families in a very moral-looking picture where no one ends up arrested. And the family picture looks great for Facebook. But at the very same time, we can live in a home where no one adventures in a story larger than themselves. That's all very possible. And you can get to the end of it and people would say, boy, I just wish we had what you had. That's very easy to do because the enemy will fund that. He will say, sure, look the part. Be part of that group, but let's never really do anything with your life. Let's buy into this idea that all God is really concerned about is your attendance and you not being arrested. That's not the way. That's what God has always, He's always, 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 always been honest about His intentions. He has always been truthful about His declaration and the relationship He longs with us. He says, I am your God, you are my children. I am your Father, you are mine. That He doesn't rule us from afar, He doesn't rule us without care. He's intimately involved in our lives so that we can see how incredibly worthy He is of our worship. He promises us His presence so we can live with purpose and we can live in fulfillment And he's very honest with us. And he says, I have no taste nor desire for the games we are tempted to play to placate him. That's not what I want out of your life. He is worthy of our praise simply because he is worthy. (laughs) It's a novel concept, right? God is worthy of our praise just because he is worthy of it. And so as we talk about how do we apply it, how do we wear this, right? It becomes pretty obvious. We start by asking this very honest but difficult question for some. God, is my heart yours? Do, have I, do I give that to you or do I lend it to you at times? And as you ask that question, you have to ask some follow-ups. What fruits are being produced in my life. Would a person describe me as a joyful person? 
Do people think I'm kind? Do people think I'm patient? Do I think I am patient? Would a person look at me? Some of you are like, hey, can you answer that question? And they're like, not here, bro. Am I a person of love? Genuine love. Not transactional love where you do something good for me, I do something good for you, and we can remain in love. No, no, no. Do I love you in a self-sacrificing kind of way that comes at great cost to me, but for great benefit of you, and I don't lord it over you? Are those fruits, are they coming out of my life? And if they're not, the good news is at least you're aware of it. Because I promise you this, God has always been aware of it. You're not going to come in and say, God, um, turns out, I don't have the fruits of the Spirit. And he's like, what? No. It's in that exact moment he says, yes. Now let's go do something. Our desire this week is to love God. Bye. Please stand with me. As we wrap up, I want to make prayer available to you guys. Uh, the Hansons and, and the Yaltsies, they would love to pray with you. Maybe you are dealing with some of those things. And you say, okay, I, I, want, I desperately want some of those fruits to be more evident in my life. And you see somebody to pray with you, a word of encouragement or a word of challenge. We want to pray with you. We believe, as Jesus has been saying, incredible, impossible things are done through prayer. That maybe you've never given your heart to God through Jesus. We believe today is a great day to do that. A great day to give your life away. I love you guys. I do. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your willingness to invade into our hearts. Thank you for your ability to transform us. Thank you for Jesus. We love you. Amen.